Rescue at the Roof of the World by Ellie Rose. Six climbers were trapped high on a deadly mountain. It would take a never-before-attempted helicopter mission to reach them. Richard Lenner and Captain Daniel Ofton Blatton's April 2010 trip to Kathmandu, Nepal, had been fairly undramatic by their standards. The pair, who worked for Swiss mountain rescue firm Air Zermatt, had spent a few days teaching local rescue group Fishtail Air the long-line method, Zermatt's pioneering technique that allows a man dangling underneath a small helicopter to pluck climbers from high-altitude rock faces. The two-month training program planned by the pilot and rescue expert would be exacting. The method requires pilots to control their craft in turbulent air too thin to lift large RAF-style winch helicopters. But it made a change from their day job, rescuing injured climbers in the Alps. Then, late on the morning of April 28, as they returned from a trip to Everest base camp with Sabin Basniat, Fishtail's captain, a member of the ground crew rushed over to meet their helicopter. Sabin translated the urgent message. We've received a distress call from a Spanish expedition on Annapurna. They're stuck above 21,000 feet and one of them is missing. Annapurna is actually the name given to a series of peaks in the Himalayas, a massive, the highest point of which is Annapurna 1, which the Spanish team climbed. Peaking at 8,091 metres above sea level, it's the 10th highest mountain on Earth. It was first conquered in June 1950, but though it was the first of the world's 14 mountains over 8,000 metres to be summited, it's still the least climbed. Frequent avalanches and icefalls make it incredibly dangerous, and almost four in ten climbers who try for the summit lose their lives. The six-man team had reached the top of the peak at around 4pm the previous day, but had been plagued by strong winds and blizzards on their way down. The only amateur climber in the group, 39-year-old father of two Tolo Caliphat, had fallen behind, and Sonam, the Sherpa who had initially stayed with him, had had to leave him at 7,500 metres when he was too exhausted to proceed. The others, world-class Spanish climbers Carlos Porna and Juanito Orzabal, Romanian Horia Colobasanu and Dawa Sherpa, had struggled onto their camp at 7,000 metres in fading light, desperate to spend the night as far down the mountain as possible to avoid fatal altitude sickness. But by the morning, when Nito's feet were partially frozen, Carlos's hands were frostbitten, they'd lost radio contact with Tolo, and the entire group were exhausted and snowblind, with the European climbers showing early signs of altitude sickness. What's more, there were reports of avalanches further down the mountain, we're screwed, 54-year-old Juanito thought to himself. On the ground, details of the men's situation were sketchy, but Daniel, 35, realised it must be dire. They'll know a chopper rescue has never been done at that height, he thought, yet they called us anyway. As well as the thin air and the resulting loss of power at such altitude, unpredictable air currents could dash a helicopter into the rock face and it could also be very dangerous for pilots to rise so high without acclimatisation. Even Fishtail Air's high-altitude Ecurial AS350B3 chopper wasn't licensed to fly above 7,000 metres. It's going to be very hard, said Richard, 38, but we're here and in theory we have the knowledge to do it. Let's just see. The two men loaded the chopper with fuel and rescue gear, then headed for Annapurna Base Camp, 160 kilometres west. Time was of the essence. The climbers could fall victim to cerebral or pulmonary edemas, 
the deadly later stage of altitude sickness, at any moment. But by the time Richard and Daniel arrived at camp at around 3pm, a thick mist had rolled in. Flying further up the mountain was now impossible. The Spanish team would have to spend yet another sleepless night in temperatures below minus 10 degrees Celsius. Early the next morning, backed by blue skies, the Spanish expedition's support team updated the rescuers. Dawa had spent the night searching for Tolo, but had returned to his companions in tears. The Spaniard was nowhere to be found, possibly covered by snow and probably dead. Let's go up and see if we can locate him anyway, said Daniel. At 7am, with an estimated three-hour rescue window until more mist rolled in, Richard and Daniel hopped into the Ecurial. As Daniel took the craft higher, he began to appreciate Annapurna's terrifying beauty. It's amazing, he thought. So steep. If I fly out only 50 metres from the rock face, there are thousands of metres of nothing to the ground. After 20 minutes in the air, there was no sign of Tolo. But they spotted the climber's camp in the distance. It's on a steep slope, said Richard. There's no chance we can land. Strong winds had started buffeting the helicopter violently. We're like a punching bag up here, said Daniel. They'd have to turn back. At base camp, Sherpas brought tea for the two men as they discussed options. Could they drop oxygen and medicine to help the climbers overcome altitude sickness? Perhaps some Sherpas could go up and help them down. But options required time the climbers probably didn't have. Daniel paused. I think the wind has died down. Then it came to him. If they stripped the helicopter to make it as light as possible, they might be able to attempt a long-line rescue, the technique they'd come here to teach. It would be very risky. No one had ever performed it at anything like this altitude. But you go out and you try, thought Daniel. Richard, who would be dangling on a rope 30 metres below the helicopter, agreed. At 8am, with the incessant mist no more than a couple of hours away, Richard and Daniel emptied charts, spare oil, headsets and even screwdrivers from the helicopter and quickly took off. The pair agreed to maintain constant radio contact to check each other's safety, but there were no guarantees. Still, thought Daniel, if I feel worried or doubtful now, I'm in the wrong job. Rotating slowly in his harness far below the helicopter, Richard took in a fabulous 360-degree view and the ever-growing drop beneath. Breathing through an oxygen tube to stave off altitude sickness, he could feel the sub-zero strong winds knifing through his clothes. After just ten minutes in the air, his tight harness began cutting off the circulation to his lower body, and he had to swing his legs to keep the blood flowing. He tried to keep his eyes peeled to relocate the camp. Suddenly, the huddle of tents swam into view. Framed on the left by a steep rock face and a sheer cliff on the right, there was little margin for error if Daniel was to steer Richard safely onto the slope. One of the climbers stood outside the tents, staring at the chopper. The others stayed in the relative warmth. Their backup team had told them the Swiss were in the area, but the climbers weren't sure they could reach them. Anyway, the probable loss of their friend Tolo curtailed any possible euphoria. Richard began directing Daniel towards the slope. Swinging 30 metres from the mountainside, he could only trust that his pilot was skilled enough in the gales to keep him from smashing into the rock. Any miscalculation would be hard to correct. Suddenly, with Richard just 50 metres from touchdown, the chopper bounced on the wind 
and he found himself tossed around, swinging towards the wall of rock and back out again. Concentrate, Daniel urged himself, pulling away from the mountain. He moved in again. The wind held off and Richard counted down. Five feet, four, three, two, touching. But as Richard started to survey his surroundings, Daniel suddenly felt uneasy. I don't like it, he said. I'm going to lift you up again. Daniel always felt you had to rely on your instincts when flying, and within seconds he was proved right. I have only ten minutes of oxygen left, said Richard. There was no way he could stay on the mountain. He'd soon be totally disorientated. They returned to base camp and replaced the oxygen bottle. There was now less than 90 minutes before the mist rolled in, so they immediately flew back up. But the wind was blowing so forcefully in Richard's face that the air was escaping his breathing tube faster than he could inhale it. I'm not feeling good, he gulped. This is going nowhere, replied Daniel, and tilted the chopper back towards base camp once more. The pair knew they were wasting too much time making failed attempts. If the clouds overtook them, the climbers would probably have to spend a third night on the mountain, and what were the odds they'd survive that? Daniel had another idea. What if he flew up alone and the climbers clipped themselves onto the line? He'd never performed a rescue like this before, let alone at such altitude and the climbers were exhausted, ill, and had frostbitten fingers. But these aren't tourists on a hiking trail, they're experienced mountaineers, Daniel reasoned. And anyway, there was little choice. So the ground team relayed instructions to the climbers, and Daniel set off. Ten minutes later, he was hovering over the camp once more. He slowly aimed the carabiner hook on the end of the rope towards Juanito Orzabal's outstretched hand, checking his power readings and battling the wind all the while. The pressure was intense. Without Richard guiding him from below the aircraft, the heavy carabiner swung from side to side. One wrong move and it could hit Juanito. But Daniel told himself to focus, and a few seconds later, the climber was clipped in. At the time, Juanito had ascended all 14 8,000ers, a world record 24 times in total, with two more summits since but he never thought he'd have to descend by dangling in the air like this. Still, exhausted and freezing, he surrendered himself to Daniel's expertise, and ten minutes later he was back at base camp, where he was whisked off by doctors. Daniel set off again, with the mist now less than 40 metres away. Each rescue was taking some 20 minutes. The two Sherpas were refusing to leave without their equipment and were too scared to go on the rope, but Daniel had no time to argue. He picked up Horia and Carlos and took them back to base camp, then saw the clouds encircling Annapurna. The two Sherpas would have to climb down the next day. But, he reasoned, they were far less prone to altitude sickness. They'd probably be okay. Richard had shaken the hands of the climbers as each had returned, but they didn't approach Daniel when he got out of the helicopter. Maybe they feel awkward, he shrugged. Rescuees rarely came to thank him afterwards and they had just lost a friend. Instead, Daniel sat down to more tea, relieved and happy. He'd just done something extraordinary. At 6,950 metres, it was the highest ever helicopter rescue in history. Don't get the wrong idea about it, he says now. We were asked to do something that was our job, basically. The two Sherpas returned safely the next day, and the three European climbers made a full recovery from the effects of altitude sickness and frostbite. 
Tolo Calafat was declared dead on April 29, probably from a cerebral edema. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia.